every level. Um, and we'll talk about that. Let me just read up to 26 then. It says, When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee, and he must needs go through Samaria. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus therefore being wearied with his journey sat thus on the well and it was about the sixth hour. Let me just stop right there. Um, I want you to think about something. Jesus went in search. Maybe in search is not the right word, but Jesus went in search of this woman. He went... Yeah, that's exactly right. And it's it's really weird because I mean it's almost like like in the outline, like it was a divine appointment. Like like God had set it up that that Jesus and this woman were gonna meet at this well on this particular time. If you looked at that map that I had in outline, if not, it's, it doesn't matter. But uh, Samaria is right in between uh, Judah and, and Ga- Judea and Galilee. And the thing about it is, is that most of most of the Jews that would go to Galilee from J- Judea would not go through Samaria because they would go over to the Jordan River and go up to 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 Galilee. And the reason was because Samaritans were ceremonially unclean to the Jews. Um, just a background of the history uh, in in hundreds of years before then the Assyrians the Assyrians conquered the northern kingdom uh, okay chalk let's do it this way okay this is not very sc- scaled but that's that's Judea right this is this is the land of Israel. Well, after Solomon, it split into the northern kingdom and it split into the southern kingdom. Okay? After Solomon. Okay, the north, whenever you read in the, especially Chronicles and Kings, when it says Israel, it's mostly talking about the northern kingdom and it'll also be called Samaria. And when you read, you're talking about the southern kingdom, this is going to be Judah. Or Judea. Right? Okay? So, what happened was the Assyrians came, and this is all recorded in Isaiah and in Chronicles and in Kings. Uh, the Assyrians came and they just swept away the northern kingdom, took them all captive, destroyed the place, and they left all the undesirable people, the blind, the lame, the ones that were dumb and not educated, you know. They left all those Jewish people there, and to get the ground working and get the, you know, get some economy going on, Assyria brought in people from all over the Assyrian Empire into the northern kingdom and they settled there and they ended up intermingling and intermarrying with the Jews there and that was, became the Samaritans. So if you were a Jew, 
you would look at the Samaritans as kind of like a half-breed. They were not, they, they corrupted the worship of Yahweh. They corrupted, uh, they intermingled with the pagan practices. And to the point where, uh, if you know the story of Nehemiah, I don't know if y'all, y'all probably heard it preached around about Nehemiah rebuilding the temple and all that. Those guys that were coming against Nehemiah when he was rebuilding the temple were Samaritans. Sanballat and Tobiah, they were, they were Samaritans. And the reason why Nehemiah wouldn't let them help build the temple was because it was the pure worship of God and they had corrupted the worship of God by letting all these pagan practices in. Y'all make, make sense? So for a Jew to speak, have dealings with, touch a Samaritan was, it would render him unclean. You, you would have to do all your ritual washings and all that. That's even where you get the term, you've heard the dust of sand off your feet, you know, when somebody won't accept you, you dust the sand. That comes from the fact that when Jews walked through Samaria and foreign lands, they would dust off the dirt of Samaria off their feet before they walked into Judea so they wouldn't corrupt the Holy Land with the unclean ground. That's where that comes from. So for Jesus to Jesus to have a divine appointment to meet this woman at the well, um, it's almost scandalous, really. And what it shows me is what it shows me is that um, that when Jesus came, when Jesus came to you, when Jesus sought out you, it wasn't like it wasn't like God just filled the room with this grace that's like peanut butter spread all over everything and you just got to you just figured hey i'll get into that deal it was more like christ and the holy spirit came to you personally and said brenda today i i'm here to convict you of your sin and i'm here to to speak with you about and when you accepted christ it was it was a personal thing jesus came and sought you out the way he sought this woman out now jesus was in jerusalem and nicodemus came to him right but for Jesus to go, a rabbi to go to find a woman who was outcast on every level. I mean, think about it. For a Jew, they wouldn't even talk to her. First of all, you didn't talk to women in public. A rabbi would never talk to a woman in public. That's just the way it was. Second of all, no Jew would ever talk to a Samaritan in public. It just wouldn't happen. And third, he asked her to drink out of her pot, which would render him unclean. So, do you see the grace that Jesus brought her? I mean, he, he came, he sought her out. He said, I must needs go through Samaria, which means I have to go through Samaria. You didn't really have to go through Samaria. In fact, most Jews would not go through Samaria because they wouldn't want the uncleanness. They wouldn't want to run into those Samaritans. They wouldn't even want the dirt of Samaria under their feet when they came back into, into Judea. So he had to go through Samaria because God has his people all over in every ethnic group, in every Every tribe, tongue, and nation, every social level. Um, a lot of us sometimes, I mean, even me, sometimes, I say even me, but this happens to me a lot. I, sometimes I forget how, just how wretched and, and evil I was, or I am, I guess. Um, if, if, it's all kind of stuff going on back there. Y'all doing all good? Yeah. Hey, no, it ain't, it's all good. Hey, Jessica. What'd you bring to eat? Uh, okay. It's all good. I like green beans. 
So he brought he he brought the woman. Let's just read it. Verse six. The woman was an outcast. Verse 7 says, There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me a drink. Now, for stop right there. I mean, for that, in, it even startled the woman. Here, here in a minute, she'll say, she'll say uh, how, how are you asking me for a drink? The fact that this, this is a Jewish rabbi, a Jewish teacher, and that he would ask to drink out of this woman's pot which would render him unclean to touch something she touched, to contact with her as a Samaritan, to do any of that kind of stuff would render him ceremonially unclean. And he was willing not only to talk to her, not only to go and meet her and have a divine appointment to be there to see her come to salvation, but he was, he was willing to just get down in, in the, the mud, so to speak, with her. You understand? Does that make sense? You have any questions? Does that, I mean, does that... Any comments or cries of outrage or anything? You'll help me out. I'm dying here. He had to reach way down to get me out of the mud. Yeah. And so I can remember. I mean, I can remember. If you would have known me, I don't guess none of y'all knew me before. No, I don't guess so. If you'd have known me, I would be the last person in the world that you would ever have thought would ever be a Christian. I mean, I have people from college that uh, well, <laughs> huh? They're like really. What are you doing now? Is it, I'm a youth pastor. What? People let kids come hang out with you? Didn't we used to get our drugs from you? Whoa. Yeah. Uh, but Jesus came right where this woman was. And he came right where you and I were. And no matter how... No matter how good you think, what it's illustrating here is if you're Nicodemus, if you're on the top of the religious ladder, you're the best that there is, people look up to you, you're, you're awesome, everything is wonderful, you've got to be born again. And if you're this woman, which is, she was even an outcast to the Samaritans because she had five husbands and living with a dude that wasn't her husband. If you're this woman you, that's outcast, she was outcast from the Jews. She was outcast from God's people. She was even an outcast from the people she was living with. So she was like way down on the, on the social level. But she's got to come the same way that Nicodemus comes. He remained all the obstacles too. For her to every come. Option, I mean, he made it. He remained the rituals, the obstacles. He removed everything. Definitely. Those times, you know, they was trying to shut off people's work. You know, like we look at people and we think, you know, they ain't worried. Y'all know. Yeah. The Lord, what can do. Right. Well, the he was showing that nobody's worthy. Like. The woman is just as, just as, as un, the, the Nicodemus was just as unclean as the woman. He just thought he was something. 
And the point of is that Jesus came to save sinners. He came to save the wretched, the the nasty, the vile, the you know, he didn't come, he didn't come. If you'll if you'll look at the two when Nicodemus leaves, it seems like Nicodemus is like, well dang, that sucked. You know, like he's like, you know, I know that you're a teacher from God, if you remember from last week. He's like, I know you're a teacher from God, and Jesus was like, No, you don't. You can't be, you don't know nothing unless you're born again. You can't see the kingdom. And he, he was kind of like knocking Nicodemus down a level or two. But here's this woman who already knew she was outcast. She already was as low as you could possibly get. And he doesn't knock her down any. He builds her completely up to by the time he leaves, she is evangelist. You know, she's an evangelist for Jesus, you know. Whereas Nicodemus, who thought he was the greatest you know, he was brought low. This woman who was at low probably thought, you know, she, she was coming to the well at midday to avoid being around the other people because she was such an outcast. You know, she already knew shame. She already knew sin. She already knew what kind of person she was. And she was, you know, she was understanding that she's an outcast from everybody. Nobody's ever going to love her and all those things. And here Jesus shows up at just the right time, at just the right place, and he gives her the gift of God, which is salvation, and it turns her, I mean, imagine, imagine this woman in town, and she is like, you know, she doesn't have five husbands, and whatever, you know, you, that kind of woman, and she's outcast, nobody wants to be around her, nobody wants to whatever, and then in the split second, split second, her testimony leads all the people in the town to come out to Jesus. I mean, do you see how he took her from as low as you could possibly go, as low as you could possibly be, and you, uh, and, uh, I'm going to kill you. Michael, how you doing? Good? Good? You have a good morning? Yeah. Okay. All right. So what was we talking about? Yeah. And he brought her grace. It says, verse, verse 7, The woman came of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said unto her, Give me a drink. Incredible that he would say that. For his disciples were gone away to buy meat. So Jesus is there by himself. Then saith the woman of Samaria How is it that thou, being a Jew, ask to drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So that's what we've been talking about. It was incredible for him to ask. Not, not, it was incredible for him to talk to her. Much less asked to drink out of her pot. Because that would have made him unclean, you know, to the Jews. And so, what Jesus does, let me, let me write it up here. This is kind of the outline I'm going to go by today. Okay? First, first he sought her out, right? He sought you out. Okay? He must needs go through Samaria. Okay? That's going to be verses 1 through 6. He sought her out. Next thing, he brought her, he brought her unbelievable grace. Hey, sought and brought rhyme. I'm like a preacher. Look, sought and bought. He brought her grace. Seven through nine, right? And he sought you out. He brought you grace. And the third thing was he, I need something that rhymes with sought and brought, don't I? Huh? Y'all go. He taught her about her greatest need. About 
greatest need. Yes, huh? That's 10 through... I don't know, we ain't read that far yet. Jesus answered and said to her, she says, how come you're talking to me? Jesus answered and said to her, if thou know, knewest the gift of God and who it is that saith unto me, give me a drink, thou would have asked him and he would have given thee of living water. And the woman said unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep from whence thou hast that living water. Where are you getting this living water? And it says, Are, are you greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his, and his cattle? So what he says is, he says, Give me a drink. She says, What? How are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. I'm, I mean, you guys don't even, you don't have nothing to do with us. And he said, woman, if you knew who I was, then you'd be asking me for water, living water. And she kind of looking at him like he's crazy. I mean, like, well, where, where, are you getting, where are you getting this water from? And what he was doing was he was showing her, he was showing her her greatest need. She was there. Back then, there's no refrigerators, there's no running water, there's no nothing. So imagine everyday women, what she would do is usually at the end of the day or at the very early morning of the day, you would go to the well and you would draw enough water for your household for that whole day. And it got to be like a social thing. Like all the women would go and you'd all be, you know, gossiping and drawing water and do what y'all do, whatever. And so this woman was going during midday when it was hot. Nobody was there because she was an outcast among the people. And her need was to get water for her house, you know, to clean, to cook, to drink, to, to do all those things. And so that was her need. Well, Jesus came and he said he was convincing her that her need is not to get water. You know, her greatest need is to be saved, to have living water given to us. Johnny Wayne preached this morning about, about is this, where did my chalk go, man? Oh, here it is. <coughs> Johnny Wayne preached about setting your affections on something else. Whenever we focus on our fit, we always focus on what we want, our physical needs, our comfort, our whatever. And we miss the fact that Christ has provided the very greatest of our needs. You remember when they let, when they, uh, yeah, when they let the man down through the roof and Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. I mean, I don't know. If I was the dude laying on the mat, I'd be like, hey, that's all good and fine. But, you know, look, look right here. What about, what about, you know, hook me up with some legs, you know? Uh, and he said, and the, he said, your sins are forgiven. Jesus was worried about his greatest need, that his sins will be forgiven. And the Pharisees that were there, they said, who is this guy that thinks he, that he can forgive sins? And it was then that he said, so you know that the Son of Man has authority. He said, take up your bed and walk. And so your greatest need, I've said this and I'll say it, I'll say it again. God will do whatever he has to do. Romans 8, when we went through Romans, you remember it says that you as believers, believers are all predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. If you are a believer, God is, is conforming you to the image of his son and he will break you and destroy you and crush you into a thousand little pieces in order to get that done. And 
For some people, He gives them blessings and all that, and it conforms them to... For most of us, it takes a little pain. It takes a little hurt. And so, Jesus was showing this woman, your, your greatest need is not to come and draw water. Your greatest need is not to provide water for your household. Your greatest need is not to be in, you know, not to be, not to be your outcast status to be fixed or to people to look at you better. Your greatest need is if you knew who it was who was talking to you right here, you would have come to him and you would have forgotten all about this water. You would have forgotten all about this Jew Samaritan bull. You would have come and you would have said, give me this living water. I need this living water. If you would have known what was going on here and who I am, you would have asked me for living water. Okay, so he he offers to to satisfy her greatest needs. She was focused on her physical needs, and he wanted to deliver, uh, you know, on her greatest one. And she was skeptical. I can see the thing about John is you'll see this over and over again in John. Most people don't understand. Nobody in John understands. Think about it. Uh, verse chapter three, Nicodemus. He didn't understand. Jesus said, you must be born again. He said, what do I do? Get back in my mama's womb? Uh, then chapter 4, here's the woman at the well. You know, I'm going to give you living water. She said, yeah, you ain't got nothing to draw the water with. She don't understand. And here later, when the disciples come back, uh, they said, they said Has son, he said, Master, eat. And he said, what did he say? Crud. He said, I have food that you don't know nothing about. He was talking about his dealings with the woman. We'll get to that next week. And they said, you know, hey, did somebody come and give him some food? They all misunderstood. They all misunderstood what Jesus was trying to say. She was skeptical about the claim. So Jesus offered her salvation plainly. Look at verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again, but whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said unto him, Sir, give me this water. Why does she want the water? So that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. So is she thinking right yet? No. He's saying, he's saying, whosoever drinks of this water that I give. Now, think, remember now, he's just standing there. He's standing there with nothing. You know, maybe a bag or something. But he, I mean, he ain't got no pots of water. He ain't got no, there's no rivers running around his feet or nothing like that. He said, the one who drinks of the water that I'm going to give you. They won't never thirst again. What was he talking about? The living water, the water where you won't never thirst again, and it'll bubble up inside of you and become a spring of running water, well water. What was he talking about? Hmm? Yeah, he was talking about everlasting life. He was talking about the Holy Spirit, by giving, giving you the Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit will well up in you, and it will produce, it will produce uh, life in you. Not just, hey, I'm going to be in heaven one day and I'm going to be alive, but life right now. Uh, when you drink, if you, how many of y'all have ever been thirsty? Like, I know everybody's been thirsty, but like, ain't, haven't drunk anything for a couple days thirsty. Like, thir like it, it's getting serious. I'm going to die thirsty. Well, when you get like that, you're, 
I mean, you just feel, of course, you know, you know your throat's all dry and all that stuff. Your, your, your eyes start, you start losing your, you're able to focus. You know, you start getting so dehydrated that your head hurts. And you, I mean, just things start falling apart. And then when you get some water after a long period of not having water, it's all of a sudden like life comes into you. It's like, bang, it's all, it's all, you know, the thirst is gone. The, the, all this other is gone. And so Jesus was telling her, when you receive the Holy Spirit, when you receive life from me, then what you have is you have a continual flow of of life from God. You have a continual you have a continual relationship with God that will continually bubble up in you and be a well of life inside of you where you don't have to you don't have to go over to the temple and get all your stuff done. You know, she's going to say that here in a minute. You don't have to go you don't have to go through the ritual to make sure that you got life and it's all good and now you go away and now you've messed it up so now you got to go back and get it done again. You got to go back to confess you got to go back to offer your sacrifice. You got to go. Now the Holy Spirit will live in you. It'll be in you, and you will be the temple of the Holy Spirit. And it will be like it will be like a relationship between you and the God of the universe that can't ever be broken. Y'all understand? I'm kind of rambling. Are y'all with me? Okay. He offers her. She's still not getting it though. She's like, I don't want to have to come to this well no more. I want some water. So. Jesus really gets down to the point here. He says, he says, I'm going to give you living water. And she says, he tells her, you'll never thirst again, all that. And she says, okay, give me this living water. And what's the first thing he says? What's the next verse? Verse 16. Don't all speak at once. Go call your husband. Why do you think he said that? I'm 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 done with the salt brought talk thing. It ain't gonna work now. It ain't gonna work no more. He exposes her sin. You can't come. Is that right? Exposes. It's because your A's and your S's are the same. Yeah, you liked it, didn't you? I heard somebody go. Sixteen through eighteen. All right. Uh, I'm going to give you this water. You'll never thirst again. Okay, give me this water. All right, go call your husband. I don't have no husband. You can't come. It's the same thing with Nicodemus. You can't come to Christ just because Christ is going to give you a prize. He's going to give you a blessing. He's going to give you whatever. You have to understand that Christ came to deal with your sin. He came to deal with your your life. He came to deal with all the ugly things about you. Even if you're a good person, quotes, uh, even if you do good things or whatever, you are wicked at the core of who you are. And I mean, I'm saying that from experience because I'm wicked at the very core of who I am. And you have to deal with that sin. You cannot come to Christ thinking I'm a good person because Christ don't save good people. He saves wicked, wretched people. And only those who come to him as a wicked, wretched person are saved. Why do you think that is? Any guesses? 
Why do you think it's important for you to understand how sinful you are before you come to Christ? Yeah, well, not only will you not appreciate it, that's absolutely true, but you won't understand what He did for you. See what I mean? Christ wants to be my buddy. He wants to be my homeboy. He wants to be, you know, He wants to. He wants us to chill and, and you know, all that stuff. But when you realize what a sinner you are, what a wretched person that you are, what a whatever, then it becomes Christ is not just my homeboy. He's my Savior. He's... He's the one who is who bridges the gap between holy God and wretched man. He's the one, you know, you, you start to understand Christ is not, you know, there's a lot of people running around today calling themselves spiritual but not religious, who Jesus is, you know, he, he he's like a, you know, he's like a boyfriend other than like a savior or whatever. And so she had to understand that this man that she was talking to right here that was offering her this living water, uh, he knew exactly who she was. He knew exactly what she had done. And it's almost like she she didn't give up the story. She just said, I don't have a husband. If Jesus didn't know all about her, he could have thought, well, she ain't married. You know, like, well, well, she, she don't have a husband. She ain't married, whatever. Except he exposes the sin, doesn't he? Look at verse uh, 14. It says, no, verse 17. The woman answered and said, I don't have no husband. Jesus said to her, thou hast well said, I have no husband. He said, you're right. He said, for thou hast had five husbands. And he whom thou hast, now has, is not thy husband. So she's shacking up with some dude. In this thou sayest truly. So... She is, she's shacking up with the dude and Jesus knows her heart. So understand, for her, this was probably kind of shocking. Like, the dude knows I done had five husbands. I talked to a lady one time. This is not important, but I thought you want to have, she said, I've been married four times. She said, there just ain't no good men no more in the world. I said, well, Honey, if you've been married four times, you might be the problem. It may not be the may not be the fellas. It might be you. Uh, that was a whole lot funnier when I said it, though. Uh, so he exposed her sin. And what would you do if? Well, I, it doesn't matter. But what she does next is she falls back to what we all fall back to: religion. When. When our sin is exposed, when, when you, if you go out and talk to someone about Christ and about sin and about His holiness and how you're wretched before Him, the one thing they're always going to do is they're going to fall back on religion. Well, I walk down the aisle, I go to church, I pray, I'm a Baptist, I'm a Methodist, I'm a Pentecostal, I'm whatever. They'll always fall back on some kind of religious observance. I do good, I go to Mass, I go to, you know, they'll always do that. They'll always fall back as if religion could make you right with God. Here's Jesus, you know, she, he, he hadn't revealed himself completely yet. Here's Jesus talking to this woman, and he, first of all, he, he came... 
I don't know how many miles it is, but it's a long way. He came all the way from Jerusalem just to be here at this well to talk to this woman at this particular time. Okay, he came and he humbled himself in such a way that he's willing to talk to this woman who is the lowest of the low. She's an outcast among the Jews. She's an outcast among her own people. Uh, You can't have five husbands back in that day and be shacking up with some dude without bearing the stigma of being a wretched woman, a wretched sinner. And so he's going to drink from her pot, which would make him unclean. He says, and instead, when she, when she questions him, he says, look, I can give you what you need most. I can give you this living water. I can give you the water that's going to make you never thirst again. And she, not quite understanding, she says, okay, I want this water. Give me this water. He says, go call your husband. She's, uh, I ain't got no husband. And then all of a sudden, this guy reveals the sin, the wretchedness of my entire life. I mean, it probably floored her. It probably floored her. And so what she does is she falls back on religion. This guy knows all about me. And I haven't told him nothing. This guy's got to be from God. Look at verse 19. We're almost done. It says... The woman said unto him, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. She said, You got to be from God because you just told me all about myself. And so since he's from God, what she's going to do is, all right, let's, let's talk some religion. It says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain. And you say, talking about the Jews, that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Okay, what she's doing is, what she's doing is, There was a debate among Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible. Genesis through Deuteronomy. They didn't accept all the rest of the Hebrew Bible. So for them, there was no, there was no, Jerusalem was not the holy place. Uh, All that stuff about David and Solomon and the prophets and all that, that was not God. All they knew was the first five books of the Bible. Moses worshipped in this mountain. Uh, Jacob worshipped in this mountain. All these people worshipped in this mountain. This is where we're going to worship. In fact, they built a temple on Mount Gerizim was the name of the mountain. And right now, at the time Jesus was there, it was in ruins. But the Jacob's Well, which is still there today, Jacob's Well is right at the foot of this mountain. So as Jesus and this woman were sitting here talking, they could probably look up and see the ruins of an old Samaritan temple up there on the mountain. And she's saying, she's saying, you have identified all this sin in me. You, you know that I've had five husbands. You know that I'm shacking up with with a dude that is not my husband. Uh, Can I get forgiveness in this temple? Or can I get forgiveness in Jerusalem? She said, now you say, you say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but our father said that we worship here in this temple. You know, she's asking, asking, how, how can I be free from all this stuff that you're telling me? Where do I go to worship? Where do I go to sacrifice? Where do I go to make my offering? If I have to, if I have to get my sin atoned for, you're a man of God. If I have to do this, where do I go to make my sacrifice? And look what Jesus said. He dispels her religion. He says, it says, uh, 21 says, Jesus said unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. 
God is spirit, and they that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. Okay? You see what he's saying? What? Yeah. You, you, what he's saying is, now see, I'm off track. Christy, you done messed me up. You worship, you, <laughs> you worship not what you not know. He was saying, you're right. You're wrong about Mount Gerizim. She was wrong. But I know you weren't sleeping, boy. I will throw a racer at you. Okay. <laughs> All that commotion back there is getting me sidetracked. He says, if you want to you worship, you worship in spirit and truth. What do you think spirit and truth means? We don't have to go all the way to Mount Zion. Don't have to go all the way to Mount Gerizim. All we have to do, all we have to do is worship in spirit and truth. So what does that mean? Don't all don't all yell at once. We ain't got a certain thing or place you have to do. Next one. You ain't got a certain thing. Say that one more time. You ain't got a certain place you have to go to to do something. God's everywhere. It's not important where you worship, just like Houston said, but how you worship. In spirit. Right here in the text, I don't think that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I think he's talking about your spirit. You worship him with your spirit. What does that mean? I mean, you let me, you me just tell you. Yeah, duh, that's perfect. Houston, two for two, batting a thousand. You worship with your spirit. You worship with everything that you are. You worship the Father. It's not about where, but about how. And to worship Him in truth is to worship Him the way that He said to worship Him. And that is through... Yes, but through Jesus Christ, through that sacrifice, okay? So to worship Him in spirit and truth is to worship Him through Jesus Christ with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Do you see the hope that He's offering this woman? I mean, this woman started her day as the lowest rung on the ladder, Jack. You couldn't get no lower than her. You couldn't be, I mean... Even widows and people like that were a step above what this lady was. I mean, she was the worst of the worst. People in the first century would see her walking down the street and go, oh, don't get next to her. She's that, she's that adulterous woman, you know, that all. I mean, it, she was the lowest of the low. And here Jesus is, he's giving himself for her. I'll drink from your pot saying I'll make myself unclean for you, you know. He's giving going to offer her living water. He knows how bad she is. He without her even saying so, he has told her all about her sinful life, all about what she's done, all about the very thing that has caused her so much pain in society, all about the thing, you know, the thing, the thing that people say about her when she walks down the street. This guy already knows. Nobody's told him and yet he's still here talking to me. He's still here offering me living water. He's still here saying that there is hope for me. They would not ever ever let this woman into the temple at Jerusalem. 
And just the fact that she was a woman, they wouldn't let her far into the temple. They would stop her at the women's gate. But as an adulteress, as a Samaritan, as a, they would never let her in the door. She would never even get past the court of the Gentiles. So there's no way. There's no way. She would have to have a husband to come that would offer sacrifices for her. There's just no way forgiveness is available for her. And yet here Jesus is saying, the time has now come. He said, there is coming a time and now is that you won't worship God in that mountain or in this mountain, but you'll worship Him in spirit and truth. You see the hope that He's given her? That look, you can be forgiven. You can worship God. You can be free. And then He reveals Himself last two verses and then we'll go. It says... It says, uh, 25 says, The woman said unto him, I know that the Messiah is coming, which is called Christ. When he comes, he'll tell us all things. She's saying... You know, well, we, we do believe that there is a man coming and, you know, I know what I hear what you're telling me. I hear all this stuff. But what we'll do is we'll, we'll just wait till the Messiah comes. And when he when he comes, he'll tell us what we need to know. And then Jesus said, look, that's me. He said, I, I that speak unto thee am. You see, he you, all y'all. How many of y'all is he is written in italics in your Bible? Is it written in italics? When in, in the KJV, when it's written in italics, that means that it was supplied by the translator for clarity. You know, that's just what it means. And so what Jesus said there was, I am. He said, I, he said Jesus said unto her, I that speak to you, I am. You know where I am comes from? Yeah, it comes from Exodus 3, the name of God. He said, I am that I am. John uses it over and over. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. He said, when they, when they came to arrest him and they said, they said, which one of you is Jesus? Jesus said, I am. And the ground shook and they fell backward. The soldiers fell backward. We'll see that, we'll see that later. Jesus is claiming, I am the Messiah. I am Jehovah, I am Yahweh, I am, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I am the Messiah. I'm the one that's here to deliver you. So right then and there, I, I believe that this is where the woman got it. This is where the woman, because after this, we're going to see next week, after this, the disciples come back and they're like, what are you doing talking to this woman? And she goes off on a witness spree and witnesses to all the people in Samaria. But right then, all the stuff that he said comes into focus. This is the Messiah. And he told me he knows how awful I am. He knows my whole life, but yet he told me that he'll give me living water. He told me that I can actually worship God. I can actually come into relationship with God. And it's, it's at this point, I think, where the woman, it clicked. And she was saved. The Holy Spirit came into her and she's going to run off to the town and she's going to start telling people all about him. They're all going to come to Jesus. And we'll talk about that next week. You understand? We've heard this story a lot, and it's you're probably thinking when you read it, you know, I know all about the woman at the well. But uh, for me, the woman at the well is, I mean, I, I, I'm not a woman, and I ain't have five husbands, but I, I'm the woman at the well. You know what I mean? Because I was, I was at the lowest I could possibly be when God found me. And He offers that to all people. Go ahead, Billy. I'm thinking, I'm mad that uh, he picked somebody that went through life that wasn't satisfied. You know, she had to be half-five of to show that there's others 
Yeah. And it seems like she continued. He, he was pulling her away from looking because she wanted the water, right? And every time he started talking about living water, she was talking about real water. Like, hey, give me, give me the water. I don't have to come out to this well no more. I want this water. You know, and he was turning her focus away. It seemed like she had been in the habit of focusing on earthly things. If I can just get this water, if I can just get my husband to act right, if I can just get a new husband that'll act right, if I can just, you know, if I, let me just shack up with the guy and, you know, we won't get married and we'll figure that out. You know, she was always looking for something. And Jesus, as she was coming, looking for this water, Jesus was turning her from physical to spiritual things. I think that's a good point. Y'all good? Everybody understand? Was it an interesting story? Yeah. Yeah. And this, I mean, what strikes me, that's true. What strikes me about the fact that he had to be there was that for every civilized person in the region, this woman would have been lower than, I mean, they would have treated dogs better than her. But yet the creator of the world said, I've got to be at this well at this certain time to meet this woman. Yeah, with us, yeah. He has to be there at that moment. That's the only way you're going to get it at that moment. Right. He, whatever moment he comes to you, that's a that's a, a divine appointment from God. That he, everything has worked toward that moment that you would meet Jesus and that that he would give you that living water. Isn't that good? Does that is that uplifting at all, y'all? Yeah. Some of y'all are tired looking. Look at you. Huh. All right. Let's pray and we'll go. Father, we love you. God, we thank you. We ask you to be with Brother Eddie as he preaches today. And Lord, give him the message that we need to hear. Give him the words that we need to hear. Lord, we love you. And God, we just cannot begin to thank you for meeting us at the well when when no one else when no one else saw the value in us, no one else saw the the worth in us. No one else loved us, God. We we were yet sinners. You loved us anyway, and you came and you met us, and you brought us hope. You gave us you gave us the worship of God. You gave us a relationship with you and with the Father. We thank you for that, and we love you, God. And we just ask that you would help us to worship you today in your service in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Do the out the outline still helping?